Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well, as it is wonderful to see all of you here today, as we will once again be in Mark chapter 14 this morning. However, before we jump back into Mark chapter 14, I do at this time want to wish all of our mothers here today a very happy Mother's Day. For as someone who is a son and a father, for I am sure of this, that moms, that we would be in so, so much trouble without you. Therefore, to all of our wonderful mothers here this morning, for it is my prayer that through all of your labors and your efforts that your children rise up and call you blessed. And I also pray, mothers, that your husbands praise you each and every day because of your love and your fear for the Lord. For we love you, moms. We are thankful for you, moms, and want to wish all of our mothers here today a very happy Mother's Day. Now, as for our sermon here today, again, we will be carrying on this morning in Mark chapter 14, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 26 through 31, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ foretells of Peter's denial, which takes place, church, following Jesus Christ, eating the Passover meal with his disciples, and while doing so, instituting the Lord's Supper, or when Jesus Christ on the first day of unleavened bread, or on the Thursday of Passion Week, sent two of his disciples, those two being Peter and John, into Jerusalem in order to prepare there the Passover meal, which Peter and John most assuredly did, only to then return back to Bethany, which was likely where Jesus Christ was located at this time, only for Jesus Christ then that evening to go into Jerusalem along with the rest of his 12 disciples in order to eat this previously mentioned Passover meal. However, verse 18, as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus Christ, he said to them, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. As well as, as we go on to see in verse 20, that it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Sharing here that not only would he, Jesus Christ, be betrayed by one of his disciples, but also that his betrayer then would be someone who is in a very close relationship with him. To which Jesus Christ also then shares in verse 21 that the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. In essence, that this whole betrayal thing by Judas Iscariot, who, as we saw back in verses 10 and 11, went to the chief priest in order to betray Jesus Christ to them, that none of that took our God by surprise here, church, but that instead it was actually all part of our God's divine and sovereign plan for Jesus Christ here. And yet simply because it was all part of our God's divine and sovereign plan for Jesus Christ here. For that does not mean that Judas Iscariot then would simply just get off scot-free here. But that instead that Judas Iscariot would still be held accountable for and would still be responsible for this wicked and heinous betrayal against Jesus Christ. To which Jesus Christ then as we go on to see in verse 22 that in the midst of this elaborate Passover meal, 
that he, Jesus Christ, then takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to his disciples and says to them, take, this is my body, the bread pointing to the broken body and the death of Jesus Christ. Only for Jesus Christ then, as we go on to see in verses 23 and 24, he takes the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The cup pointing to the shed blood and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And that it was ultimately the blood of Jesus Christ via his substitutionary death on that cross at Calvary that inaugurated or established church, the new covenant from Jeremiah chapter 31 and ultimately secured then for the people of God the forgiveness of sins. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of the sheep, will never, ever, ever abandon any of his sheep, even if they temporarily fall away from him. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of the sheep, will never, ever, ever abandon any of his sheep, even if they temporarily fall away from him. And thus at this time, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 31. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God which you can start doing today by opening that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 851, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Mark chapter 14 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 26 through 31, where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you humble us at this time. Lord, as we read these words from Simon Peter here, that I will not fall away, that I will not deny you. 
As we all know, Father, it wasn't only a couple hours later before three times he denied Jesus Christ. Father, drive us to our knees in humility this morning. Let us understand that it was completely your will to crush the Son so that we could be forgiven of our sins. It is only because of your grace that we have faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. It is only because you, as the God of all grace and who continues to pour grace upon grace onto your children, that we can flee from the temptations of the devil. And yet when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous, the good shepherd of the sheep, who even when we fall away from him, when we sin against him, when we forsake him, he's not a shepherd who rejects his sheep, but he's one, he is a shepherd who keeps his sheep. Each and every last one of his sheep he keeps, and he saves, and he gives eternal life to. Father, let us be in awe of your mercy and your grace this morning. Let us not play the role thinking that we could be better than Simon Peter here, but let us see ourselves in Simon Peter in our need to go to our knees in prayer to the God of all grace to continue to equip us for every good work that we have been called to. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning to deliver this word faithfully to your people. And as I have been praying all week, Father, I pray for these dear ones to receive the word that you want them to receive. Let there be no hard-heartedness this morning, stiff necks this morning, hard heads this morning. Let them receive exactly what you want them to receive, Father, I pray. Let us be edified as a church body, and you, Father, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, God is sovereign, in control of, and authoritative over all, even over the striking of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. God is sovereign, in control of, and authoritative over all, even over the striking of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Verses 26 through 28, which reads, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So again, keep the context in mind here, church. That being that we are still seemingly at the Passover meal at this time. And I say that because, as noted last week, that following the eating of the main course at the Passover meal, which included the unleavened bread, the roasted lamb, and of course the drinking of the third cup of wine, that's before the fourth cup of wine was consumed and the meal then would ultimately be over, that the Hallel Psalms would be sung, again likely from Psalms 115 through 118 which seems to be what John Mark was referring to here in verse 26 when he said, and when they had sung a hymn. 
Nevertheless, once these Hallel Psalms, or this verse 26, hymn was sung, and the Passover meal then was complete, Jesus Christ and his disciples then left the crowded city of Jerusalem. at about midnight, mind you. Traveled across the Kindred Valley, and then as we see in verse 26, went up to the Mount of Olives. And it was apparently while they were still heading to the Mount of Olives when Jesus Christ said to them in verse 27 that you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And the them here church is alluding to Jesus' 11 remaining disciples. Being that Judas now was likely making his way to the chief priest at this time, since he seemingly knew where Jesus Christ would ultimately be located. And thus we have a scene here, church, where Jesus Christ, after just telling his disciples during the Passover meal, back in verse 18, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And then saying to his disciples in verse 20 that it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me, that now Jesus Christ is saying to the rest of his remaining disciples in verse 27 that you will all fall away and that you will all temporarily for an amount of time forsake me, abandon me, desert me, run away from me, and ultimately leave me. For as it is written, verse 27, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus Christ citing here or referencing here, church, in verse 27, that of Zechariah 13, 7, which reads, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. And what's being said here, church, in verse 27, as Walter Wessel explains it, is that when the shepherd, Jesus Christ, is struck, that the sheep then, his disciples, will be scattered and temporarily forsake Jesus Christ. And as the quotation here, again, from Zechariah 13, 7, makes clear that the death of Jesus Christ would be the result of the action of God. I will strike the shepherd which also then results in the scattering of the sheep. And this prediction was fulfilled since the disciples were filled with fear to be identified with Jesus Christ in his trial and death. And that fear then, well, it ultimately caused them to forsake Jesus Christ. And thus, please note here, church, that the eventual striking and suffering and death of the good shepherd Jesus Christ That it's not as if it wasn't part of the divine plan of our sovereign God here, or wasn't part of the divine will of our sovereign God here, or wasn't part of the divine intent, the divine purpose, the divine decree, or the divine aim of our sovereign God here, but that instead it was all part of our God's divine and sovereign plan for Jesus Christ here, and that it absolutely was, church, the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. Isaiah 53, 10. And yet despite the fact that the good shepherd Jesus Christ would eventually be struck and suffer and ultimately be put to death, for Jesus Christ then goes on to say to his disciples here in verse 28, but after I am raised up, raised up as in risen church, 
and resurrected church and raised from the dead and brought back to life church and that what we have here church is Jesus Christ saying to his disciples once again just as he did in Mark chapter 8 in Mark chapter 9 and then again in Mark chapter 10 that despite his death that he Jesus Christ then would most assuredly be raised from the dead to which as D.L. Moody writes for it has always been a mystery to me why every disciple of Jesus who was anywhere near Jerusalem was not at the tomb on the morning of the third day after the crucifixion. For over and over and over again, Jesus Christ told his disciples that he would rise. For even one of the last things he said to them as they were on their way to the Mount of Olives was, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And yet there is not one solitary passage that tells us that they had any expectation of his resurrection. And furthermore, it seems as though Jesus' enemies actually had better memories than his friends. Because when Jesus' body was put in the tomb, for it was the Jews who went to Pilate and wanted him to make the tomb as secure as possible, because they remembered that Jesus Christ has said, while he was still alive, that after three days he would rise. And yet not only did Jesus Christ say to his disciples in verse 28 that he would be raised up, but he also then goes on to say to them in verse 28 that I will go before you to Galilee. In essence, that following his suffering and death and the scattering of his sheep here, a.k.a. his disciples, that he, Jesus Christ, then would not only be raised from the dead, but that he would also then, verse 28, go before them to Galilee. And that, as numerous commentators point out here, but as R.T. France puts it, that after the damning prediction in verse 27, for this is what Jesus' disciples needed to hear, And that even in their stumbling and in the scattering of the sheep, that it would not be terminal. And thus there is satisfying symmetry here in verses 27 and 28. Whereas although the striking of the good shepherd results in the scattering of the sheep, the resurrection of the good shepherd Jesus Christ results in the regathering of the sheep in Galilee. Nevertheless, as we wrap up point number one this morning, church, for I'd like to do so again by making sure that you all realize at this time and see at this time and truly comprehend at this time that although the good shepherd Jesus Christ was eventually struck down and suffered and killed, for it was all church decreed by our God and ordained by our God, and initiated, caused, willed, and was providentially carried out by our sovereign God, who always, always, always accomplishes all that he pleases. And thus, even though our God's Son, Jesus Christ, was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, for our God was still perfectly sovereign over that situation, church, and totally authoritative over that 
situation, church, and was in complete control of every detail in that entire situation, church, and ultimately used that entire situation, church, that striking and suffering and death of his own son, Jesus Christ, for our good and for his perfect and redeeming purpose. And he could do all of that because our God is sovereign over all, even over the death of his own son, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to point number two. Christian, guard yourself against the power of pride. Christian, guard yourself against the power of pride. Verses 29 through 31. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So after just hearing Jesus Christ say to his disciples that you will all fall away, for as it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. The apostle Peter then replies back to Jesus Christ in verse 29 by saying, even though they all fall away, or as the NASB puts it, even if they all fall away, I, Peter, will not. Seemingly displaying a certain level of pride here, church, and a certain level of self-confidence here, church, and even a certain level of egotism here, church, as Simon Peter, who although he had just heard Jesus Christ say in verse 27 that you will all fall away, for as it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, for he, Simon Peter, then in essence, responds back to Jesus Christ here by saying to him that you are wrong here, Jesus, in error here, Jesus, mistaken here, Jesus. Jesus, and that even though they, the rest of your disciples, will all fall away, for I, Peter, will not. To which Jesus Christ then replies back to Peter in verse 30 by saying to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And that Simon Peter, the one who just declared that he would never fall away from Jesus Christ, that on that very same night before the rooster crows two times, a.k.a. before that of dawn, that he, Simon Peter, then would deny Jesus Christ not one time, not two times, but instead that of three times. And you would think after hearing that, that Simon Peter then would just humble himself, swallow his pride, and just receive the words of Jesus Christ. But instead, Simon Peter, for he responds back to Jesus Christ then in verse 31 by saying to him vehemently and strongly and emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. To which the rest of Jesus' disciples then, as we go on to see in verse 31, all said the same. And oh, how true the statement is, church, from Proverbs 16, verse 18, which reads, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
And I say that because, as we will see in a couple of weeks or later on in Mark chapter 14, that just a couple hours later then, before the rooster would crow twice, Simon Peter, for he denied Jesus Christ three times. And thus to summarize John Henry Byrne here, for he once noted that these words are worth repeating. Bear in mind that you are just beginning to go wrong when you are a little bit pleased with yourself because you are going right. Bear in mind that you are just beginning to go wrong when you are a little bit pleased with yourself because you are going right. And thus, in light of that, let us watch then against this as a snare of Satan. And always endeavor then to maintain the apostolic attitude of doing nothing from selfish ambition or with conceit, a.k.a. with that of excessive pride in oneself. And furthermore, let us not make the mistake of supposing that self-satisfaction or egotism can be guarded against by merely using empty theological expressions in order to ascribe all merit and praise to God, since too often those are merely garments of spiritual pride and by no means should be mistaken for true humility. Therefore, in contemplating the failure and the fall of Simon Peter, who seemed to have had all the elements of moral strength and all the qualities needed for a life of consistent integrity and undeviating holiness. For by observing Peter here, for we must be convinced that our own natural powers are insufficient for the work that we have been called to do, and that consequently then an appeal must be made to heaven for the grace of God to help us in our time of need. And thus, very practically speaking here, for if you are sitting there this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, and you are struggling with money ruling over your life at this time, or you are struggling with different forms of sexual immorality gripping your life at this time, or you are struggling with deceiving others at this time, or lying to others at this time, or taking advantage of others, stealing from others, coveting what others have, and or putting yourself before others in order to gratify the desires of your own flesh at this time, then lovingly let me warn you, Christian, do not trust in your own capabilities to win those battles at this time, nor in the strength of your own might to fight those those battles at this time, nor even in your own skill, power, or proficiencies to overcome those battles at this time, but to instead take those battles to your knees and go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to give you the grace you need and the strength you need to overcome those battles at this time, since your God's grace, Christian, will be sufficient for you and your God's power, Christian, will be made perfect in your very weakness. And thus, when you are faced, brother Christian, sister Christian, with the temptation of sin, no matter how big or how small you think that temptation might be, for do not, Christian, rest in the strength of your own might in order to be able to overcome it, resist it, defeat it, or beat it, but instead rest completely in the strength of your Lord's might, since it is the omnipotent God of the universe who has promised you, Christian, that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but that with the temptation, 
He will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, humble yourself, Christian. See your own weaknesses, Christian, and rely on the grace of your God, Christian, in order to overcome all the temptations of the devil since your God's grace will absolutely be sufficient for you and his power will be made perfect in your very weakness. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who is here first. And to share with you at this time, non-Christian, how this good shepherd named Jesus Christ, who died as a ransom for many, and who three days later rose from the dead, how he ultimately then saved sinners from their very sins. And he accomplished all of that, non-Christian, by coming into this world as truly God and as truly man, and by initially living for us the life that we could never live, and that the life that Jesus Christ lived here on earth, non-Christian, was not sinful like ours, or wicked like ours, or unjust, immoral, depraved, or unholy like ours, but that instead it was a life that was holy and just and righteous and good. And thus because of that, he, Jesus Christ, then fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense all for the very children of God. However, keeping the law of God all for the very children of God, for that was not all that the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because he, Jesus Christ, also then paid the price for our sins that we could not pay by taking our sins upon himself and by willingly then being pierced and crucified, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself was innocent and committed no sin, which satisfied then, non-Christian, the justice of our holy God and appeased then non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus because of all that, three days later then, this sinless son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent Repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sins and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so in light of the fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will never, ever, ever abandon, 
give up on, lose, reject, repudiate, or disown any of his people. Even when they fail him, don't listen to him, sin against him, or temporarily, verse 27, fall away from him. H.G. Bosch, for he shared this story about a man by the name of Robert Robinson, who was the author of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and who in his declining years wandered off into the byways of sin and fell away from Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, he became very troubled in his spirit. And thus in hoping to revive his mind, he decided then to travel. And during his travels, he became acquainted with a young Christian woman who asked him one day what he thought of this hymn that she had been reading. And to his astonishment, he found it to be that it was none other than his own composition of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And although he tried to evade her question, she continued to press him for a response, to which suddenly then he began to weep. And with tears now just streaming down his face, he said to her, I am the man who wrote that hymn many, many years ago. And oh, what I'd give to experience the joy again that I knew back then. And although greatly surprised by all this, the Christian woman then reassured Mr. Robinson that the streams of mercy, as mentioned in the hymn, that they still flowed. And thus Mr. Robinson then, who was deeply touched by all this, turned by the grace of God, his wandering heart, back to Jesus Christ. And thus, as J.C. Ryle so beautifully wrote concerning our text today, for let us take comfort then in the thought that the Lord Jesus does not cast off his believing people simply because of their failures and imperfections. For he knows who they are. He takes them as a husband takes his wife with all their blemishes and defects. And once joined to him by faith, he will never leave them. And it is his glory to pass over the transgressions of his people and to cover their many sins. For he knew who they were before their conversion, wicked and guilty and defiled, yet he still loved them. And furthermore, he knew what they would be after conversion, weak and erring and frail, and yet he still loves them. And he has undertaken to save them even in spite of all of their shortcomings. And what he has undertaken, he will perform. And thus I want to encourage your souls this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, by sharing with you at this time that Jesus Christ, that he is not the kind of shepherd who when one of his sheep fails him, or sins against him, or doesn't listen to him, or in their weak and foolish state decides to temporarily run off away from him, who will simply then abandon that sheep, or reject that sheep, or disown, quit on, turn his back on, say good riddance to, and ultimately just let the wolves destroy that sheep. But instead, Jesus Christ For he is the good shepherd of the sheep who loves his sheep, laid down his life for his sheep, purchased his sheep with his own blood and who will never, ever, ever lose any of his sheep no matter how far they might wander off. 
And thus, if you are sitting there this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, wondering at this time if Jesus Christ really does still love you, even though you continue to sin against him, or if Jesus Christ still cares about that backsliding friend of yours who keeps acting wickedly against him, or even if Jesus Christ is still able to gather that family member of yours who you thought for sure came to faith in him, but who is now just seemingly walking further and further and further away from him? For if any of those scenarios now are just racing through your mind, then let this bring comfort to you this morning, Christian. That if someone has truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ and has truly repented of their sins and been brought from spiritual death to new life in Jesus Christ, that although they might be sinning against Jesus Christ at this time and not listening to the commandments of Jesus Christ at this time and maybe even have temporarily fallen away from Jesus Christ at this time, for if they truly belong to Jesus Christ and are truly one of the good shepherd sheep, then the good shepherd Jesus Christ, for he will not leave them or abandon them, disown them or reject them, but in Instead, he will be faithful to keep each and every last one of them and will not let any of them, church, be snatched out of his hand. Since the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his sheep, for he knows his sheep, doesn't lose his sheep, and will most assuredly then save each and every one of his sheep and thus find peace and comfort and assurance and confidence this morning, Christian, in the fact that the good shepherd Jesus Christ knows and loves and died for his sheep and that despite their failings and weaknesses, errors and moments of sin where they foolishly wander off into the world and away from him, that he, Jesus Christ, then will still be faithful to give eternal life to all of his sheep since the good shepherd Jesus Christ does not lose any of his sheep, who he purchased with his own precious and redeeming blood on that old rugged cross at Calvary. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body simply humble ourselves this morning, since it was the will of our God to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to suffer for us, to be crucified for us, die for us, and to three days later then be raised from the dead and secure eternal salvation for us. And that it's only by the grace of God that we can come to faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and only by the grace of God that we can press on in the faith, grow in Christ-likeness, and flee from the works of the devil. And yet, even when we do sin and fall short of the glory of God, for we have a good shepherd in Jesus Christ, who not only forgives us of our sins, but who also then will not lose us, abandon us, reject us, nor allow the wolves of this world to eat us, but who instead will be faithful to keep us, to love us, to not let anyone pluck us out of his hand, and to ultimately save us and give us the gift of eternal life. Let's pray, church.